Psalm 54. To the chief musician on Neganoth, Maskil, a psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. The title that I've given our study in Psalm 54 this evening is David's Personal God. David's Personal God. And the first truth that we are confronted with in the title of this psalm is David's personal problem. And this is, as we see in the title, a psalm of David when the Ziphims or Ziphites came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? Now it's hard to tell which specific time that David is referencing here in this psalm because as we read the narrative of David's life in 1 Samuel, specifically of the time where David was on the run from Saul, we find that the Ziphites told Saul of David's whereabouts not once, but twice. Once in 1 Samuel 23, and then another time in 1 Samuel 26. So there are two separate occasions in which David took refuge in the mountains of the Ziphites, which led the Ziphites to inform Saul that David was in their neighborhood. David was in their region. But whatever time this was, it really makes no difference because this is not the main feature of the psalm. The main feature of the psalm is David's personal problem and David's response to his personal problem. And David's personal problem is that he is hated and being hunted by the first king of Israel, Saul. And we need to pause and recognize why David is ferociously hated and now being hunted by Saul. What did David do? Well, as we read the account of David's life, we began seeing from Scripture that when David faithfully did the will of his earthly father, Jesse, in taking food to his brothers who were at war with the Philistines, and then as David exercised faith, taking down Goliath with his sling and his stone, that's where his problem began. Now, do you see where David's problem arose? David's problem arose from honoring his earthly parents and having courage to stand up for God when everyone else was being a coward. You see, David was not seeking to be some hero on that day when he took down the giant of the Philistines. David had no intention that he was going to personally confront Goliath. 
David was content shepherding his sheep, and yet it was God who directed the steps of David to secure a victory for Israel, which then led to Saul becoming extremely jealous of the praise that David was receiving from the lips of others, which then led to Saul doing everything he could to see that David dies. So listen, church, sometimes the problems of life arise from our foolishness, our stupidity, our lack of love, our lack of grace and wisdom and forgiveness like we see in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David caused his own problems when he lusted after Bathsheba and then he sought to kill one of his own friends, one of his own soldiers, Uriah. But at other times, as we see in this psalm, problems come simply because we are striving to serve God. And this is the occurrence of David's life in Psalm 54. In Psalm 54, David is on the run, fleeing for his life, and he finds a refuge in the country of the Ziphites, who were, the, by, by the way, Israelis of the same tribe of David, Judah. And yet, the psalm tells us, they acted like strangers. Verse 3, for strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul because they have not set God before them. Sila, stop, pause. Think about that for a moment. Strangers, oppressors, those of the same tribe, those who were Hebrews, not Gentiles. Now take a moment and imagine the human troubles David is dealing with. I know you and I have troubles from time to time, but take a moment to think of David's for a moment. And I want you to see that your troubles are far less dramatic than David's. Now, David is dealing with a life and death situation. He's on the run for striving to do what God wanted him to do. He is ferociously hated and betrayed by his own people, his own tribe, his own people act like strangers to him. They are oppressors to his soul. Why? Because they have not set God before them. Here are people who know better, people who've been given the law of God, and they're acting like atheists. Sound familiar? You live in a world that knows better. At least you think they should know better. And yet because they do not set God before their eyes, they persecute. They speak evil of the faith that you have. So think about the anxiety David is dealing with. Think about the emotions that flood his heart. Think about the doubts, the worries, the fears, and the burdens he's bearing. And David was a man like, of like passions as we are. You see, David was not some angelic superhero. No, he's in a season of great distress. He's in a season of weakness. He's in a season of trial and trouble. And what does he do? Well, the psalm tells us he cries out to God. He turns to the Lord in prayer. And this leads us then to our second point. Not only do we see David's personal problems in Psalm 54, we also see David's personal prayer. Verse 1. 
Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. Now, did you notice how many times David said, me? Save me, O God, by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. Now catch this, when troubled on every side, David does not run to other men for help, he runs to God for help. When filled with anxiety, discouragement, and fear, his immediate response is not to complain to his friends about his trouble, but to complain to his God about his troubles. Now don't lose me here, this is a great point of application for all of us. When overwhelmed by the troubling circumstances of life, the first response of David is not to ask others to pray for him. He doesn't go on Facebook and write a long post complaining about his problems and then spiritualize it by putting it in the form of a prayer request. He doesn't call the church in anxiety and say, I need to be put on the prayer list now. When David is overwhelmed by the troubling circumstances of life, he gets alone with his God. Now, let me be balanced here. This is not to say that others cannot and should not pray for us. This is not to say that others cannot and should not bear our burdens with us. But this is to say that oftentimes we run to men to unburden our souls before God. We do. But in verses 1 and 2, and really throughout the entirety of the psalm, we find that David is teaching us that in the midst of his personal problems, David takes time to personally pray to his God. And notice his prayers are not some learned, rote, dry, sophisticated, lengthy, KJV, archaic words, prayers. But they are passionate cries from the heart. And listen, this is what true prayer is. True prayer is the crying of the heart, the crying of the soul to God. So David says, save me, O God. According to what? According to my righteousness? According to my goodness? According to the good things that I've done for you in the past? No. David says, save me according to thy name, thy character, thy person, thy nature. Judge me by not my strength or the strength of others, but judge me according to thy strength. Judge me according to thy power. Now, notice David's prayers. David's prayers are God-centered, and they're focused on God's person and God's abilities, not on what other men can do for him. This is the biblical model of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, 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 God. David's not 
praying out of tradition. He's not praying out of heartless routine. He is praying to a God that he knows, to a God that he loves. So the first truth highlighted for us in Psalm 54 is David's personal problems. The second truth highlighted for us is David's personal prayer. The third truth highlighted for us is David's personal profession and confidence. David's personal profession of faith and confidence. Verse 4. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. Do you see where David's faith is? Do you recognize where David's confidence rests? It rests solely in God. Now think about this. David could have said, well, theologically, I know that God is in control. I I recognize that God is good, but evil men seem to have the upper hand here. And don't you know how sly Saul is? Don't you know how powerful Saul's men are? I'm doomed. This is it. I'm going to die. The Zephites found me. It's all hopeless. You know, put himself in a panic attack. But that's our tendency, isn't it? Oftentimes when we meet with the sour circumstances of life, we think and sometimes say, it's all hopeless. It's all doom and gloom. Our country is doomed. Our family situation is beyond God's help. I know God is in control, but these circumstances seem too bleak. But look at David's confidence. God has given us this psalm for our learning, for our admonition. Look at it. Look at David's confidence. His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is not in others. His confidence is in his God. David says, God is my helper. And there's that possessive pronoun again. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Though his enemies, even his own people, are hunting him like a wild deer in the wilderness. David is resolved not to get bitter. Not to get even. David's resolved to trust that God, in his own way, in his own timing, will judge his enemies as he sees fit. Vengeance is God. He will repay So we can be still and know that God is God. While men mean things for evil, God somehow will work the evil for our good. It's one thing to know this, and it's another thing to know this. It's one thing to acknowledge it mentally. It's another thing to rest your hearts upon that spiritually. David professes that God is his God, but David is not merely resting on his profession. David's heart is resting on this. And so this is his confidence. It's his confidence. So in this psalm, we see David's personal problems, David's personal prayer towards God. 
David's personal profession and confidence in God. And then we have David's personal resolve to live for God in the midst of his afflictions. Verse 6. David says those two words that we find sprinkled throughout the Psalms. Notice them. What are they? I will. I will. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all my trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. What I want you to notice here is David's living faith. Now let's take a moment to analyze what David just declared. Again, put it in context. David is being hunted by Saul, his best friend's father. He's been betrayed by his own people, Israelis, the tribe of Judah, those who are supposed to be helping him in time of trouble. Here he is living life day by day, not knowing if he'll see tomorrow. Here he is, David, without a home, without a car, without an abundance of groceries in his kitchen. He has no kitchen. The wilderness is his kitchen. He's without an abundance of friends and supporters. And what does David say? He says, despite my sour circumstances, I'm going to freely sacrifice unto God. I'm going to keep worshiping God as He requires of me. I'm going to keep striving to do His will. Though my heart and my flesh fail me, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Though my heart and my mind are flooded often with trouble, I'm going to keep praising the name of God. Why? Because David says it's good. My circumstances are not good, but God is good. And as I look back at my life, I can attest to the fact that God has only been good. He's delivered me out of my trouble. So now he will take care of me in the midst of this new trouble. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. He leadeth me. He's the good shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because the good shepherd is with me. He'll protect me. He'll provide Now listen, David does not say, if this is how God is going to treat me after I've done nothing wrong, I'm done. David doesn't say, if if this is the reward for my faithfulness to the Lord, I don't want anything else to do with God. You you see, David is not a fair-weather Christian. He'll serve God when the sun's out, but when the storms come, nowhere to be found. David does not say, I'll serve God when everything's going my way, but the moment crisis hits, I'm down, I'm out. I hope you see that David has living faith. He has a faith that endures the storms of life. He has a faith that is lived out. He has a faith that is fixed. It's anchored in the person of God. He has a faith that perseveres, that is determined, that is resolved And this is so, listen, this is so because God to David is not a part of David's life. No, God is David's life. 
That's the game changer. And listen, church, sometimes trials come into our lives to test the sincerity of our faith. Sometimes trials come into our life to test why we really want God. This was so with Job's life. Satan was persuaded that Job only served God because God wrote him a paycheck. That was Satan's accusation. Job only serves you because you give him everything you want. But take it all away and he'll curse you to the face. And so, God allows Satan to tempt Job in every way. And what do we find of Job's faith? It wasn't perfect, but it persevered. And it was fixed on the person of Christ. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know my Redeemer liveth, and I shall stand with him at that latter day. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When he hath tried me, I will, I will come forth as gold. See his confidence? Did he struggle? Yes. Did he have doubts? Of course. But there was still that glimmer of faith, that light in the darkness. This same truth is emphasized in the parable of the sower. Many follow Christ for a time. Many profess with their lips the Lord Jesus Christ. They follow Christ for the food. They follow Christ because everything seems to be working out for them. But when the storms of life come, they are done. They throw in the towel. Why? Because their faith is not really rooted in Christ. It was rooted in what Christ can do for them. It was rooted in an experience. Well, David's faith is rooted in Christ. And we know this because despite David's trouble, here it is, His heart is still panting after God. Now, in reading the Psalms, we might wonder, does this man even know the Lord? I mean, come on, David, surely you figured it out by now, right? And most of the Psalms just start with his complaints. (laughs) Like, David, maybe you need a mental institution. Maybe you need some antidepressant pills. No, what, what is the foundation of his faith? Heart for God, still panting, still desiring. In the midst of his darkness, he is still walking in the light. That's it. So listen, if someone says that they are a Christian, but they don't run to God when trouble hits, there's no evidence that they have an active prayer life, They don't profess their confidence in God to help, and they're not resolved to worship God and do His will when everything turns sour. We we really should be concerned for their soul. Why? Because true faith is real, and true faith is real despite the circumstances of life. True faith perseveres because true faith is preserved and kept by God. True faith is active. True faith is not dependent. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. True faith is dependent upon the person of Christ. And this is the foundation of the psalm. David has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Like Abraham, David believed in the Lord. David believed in the coming Messiah that the Messiah would be his personal Savior, and it's that belief that was counted unto him for righteousness. 
It's the same salvation. David looked forward to what Christ would do. We look backward. But it's focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ. God was personal to David. God was not just the God of Israel. He was not just the God of his fathers. He was not just some creator who was out there. God was not just some routine, some ritual, some tradition. God was his God. So the question of all questions tonight in consideration of this is, is God your God? Is Christ your Savior? Do you know God personally? Do you know God savingly? Is He your God or is He just the God of your parents? Is Christ your Savior or is He just the Savior that the pastor talks about every week? So the question I'm asking is, listen, has God saved you? Has He given you a new heart with new affections? Has He given you a love for Him? Has He called you by name to Himself? Is Jesus your life? I didn't ask if you put Him on on Sundays and take Him off on Sunday nights. I didn't ask if he's just an accessory to your life. I didn't ask if he's just a God among many gods. Is Jesus your life? Is he your hope? Is he your peace? Is he your joy? Is he your very salvation? If not, listen, he can be. God can be your God. Jesus can be your Savior if you will repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God can be your God if you recognize that you have no hope in saving yourself. And God in Christ has done everything possible to save your soul. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again victoriously so that you, listen, so that you might be redeemed, so that you might be reconciled, so that you might be made at peace with God. So would you receive him tonight? Would you call on his name, on his person, on his character? He's mighty to save. He's good, he's gracious, he's merciful, taking no delight in the death of the wicked. And one final note, in our looking for Christ in this text, as I'm often encouraging you to do when you read the Scriptures, we see that David is a type of Christ in that he was betrayed by his own people. Here the Ziphites were of the same tribe, and what did they do? They turned their back on David. So Christ went unto his own, and his own received him not. The Jews were the one to cry out for Jesus' crucifixion. And listen, Judas, one of his own disciples, betrayed the Lord with a kiss. Yet, in the life of Jesus, what do we find? We find that through all the betrayals, Jesus trusted in God. In the midst of his problems, he ran to the Lord in prayer often. 
And we find his soul being poured out to God in John 17. In the midst of Jesus' betrayals, in the midst of Jesus' problems, Jesus continued to do what the Father wanted him to do. So does Jesus know anything about what we deal with in life? He does. He was tempted in, any, in every way that we are, yet without sin. He knows. He knows our trials. He knows our troubles. He knows our heartaches. And this should lead us then to run to him and cry out even more so, Father, help me.